friends, greetings in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a joy, pleasure, privilege it is to be in your midst. I really feel humbled and in awe of who you are. Because if I may say so, uh, I think having 70-odd designated missionaries from one congregation is a tribute which is hugely, hugely appreciated. And I want to really salute you and say you are wonderful. If this is your priority of the gospel, because I know many established mission agencies, at least in Europe, and we are diminishing fast. And here is one congregation which is moving on with the message of hope, of salvation, of purpose, of reconciliation. So, huge thank you. And also to say a very special thank you on behalf of OMSC. We often talk about it as a place which is the destination of all of us. The picture that comes to mind is that of Revelation 7. People of all languages and tongues and tribes going around the divine throne saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. And we feel so blessed that OMSC is already living it out. And I hope the church at large, the body of Christ, lives it out as best as it can. The topic for the evening and for this whole week is harassed and helpless. Very depressing. <laughs> but then there's the word compassion of Jesus. And that's what I would be relating to as quickly as I can, because my time seems to have been cut off, so which is always the disaster, but we'll do our best under these circumstances. So I'd like to show you a video on Pakistan and then carry on after that. So I hope it's 10 minutes, just under 10 minutes, so those who cannot see perhaps they may have to stand for 10 minutes. I don't know. Whatever your choice is. But it would be nice if you are able to watch it. Over to you. prayer breaks the still Pakistan morning. It calls five times a day, reminding all of the expectations of Islam. Mano Rumulshah is the bishop of these difficult days. He oversees two dioceses in Pakistan, 
he is a courageous man giving hope to fellow Pakistani Christians. One of the key factors in, uh, in, in the church's life in Pakistan is the insecurity and the loneliness of our people. Of the major pastoral concerns always is to be with them, to sustain them, to encourage them so that they feel uh, loved and they feel that it's all right to continue to be a Christian in this part of the world. To be a Christian in this part of the world requires great sacrifice, sometimes with one's life. They are ready to die for their faith. That's the most amazing thing. But more than dying, I, I always encourage them to live out the gospel with, through their work, with, through their relationship, with, through any act that they do. Some do die, as did 17 Christians in St. Dominic's Church just six weeks after 9-11. Today there is a wedding here. The steps covered in red from red rose petals. But on October 28, 2001, the steps were covered red with blood. I heard the this sound. Dead people are lying on the floor, all blood. First, the terrorists shot the armed guard outside the gate. One stood outside, and others go outside, uh, goes outside uh, inside the church. The priest was just coming outside. He was the first to be shot. Then the terrorists went inside. They sprayed the sanctuary with bullets as the service was ending. Women and children were not spared. Five children were there. Five children were there? Yes, along with their mother. That The bullet holes have been patched now. The church has been made whole again. But the survivors still feel the pain. One of my most favorite utterances is that of St. Francis of Assisi, when he's purported to have said to his disciples, go and preach, use words if necessary. He is blind at this moment, but uh, the next day after the catch surgery, he can see the world with the grace of God. This is the best way for Christian evangelism. This is the best way. I think, I, I think it, this is a silence pre preaching, we can say. Without from our words, with our work, we can tell them okay, what is the message of Jesus. And definitely in Christian hospitals, they have best treatment as compared to outside. These are not institutions. These are diaconia places, places of service and love. Ninety plus percent of the patients here are from the majority community and they come seeking this place because one always hears through them that this is a place where they are given love and care in abundance. We, we, can, we can tell them the Jesus message. We have the books there. Patients used to ask, like in my office, there is a big Jesus photograph. And people used to ask, who is he? 
and from where you have taken the photographs and there's a one verse that's written here that Jesus is the light of the world and they used to ask oh, how it is here they listen us but outside them they will never listen us my family and I live in the cathedral compound in Peshawar I'm always reminded that my predecessor was kidnapped some years ago and that seems to still linger on. But I normally never ever travel with security guards because I feel that that's unacceptable to me. Part of my responsibility is to visit my people regularly in this widespread diocese. For example, I go to Bannu uh, very often, which has been one of our major areas of engagement with the fundamental Islam. <laughs> Bannu is one of the ancient cities on this border, and it's very close to the Afghanistan area and uh, some of the very militant and uh, tribal people live here and as you can see today it's Friday and this is a market day and a prayer day and this is why we have these crowds here selling and buying and then going for their uh, Friday prayers. But uh, these are very proud and robust people. And church has been here for the last 150 years serving this community of tribal warriors through health care, in education, and anything else that God has allowed us to do. And uh, we deem it a privilege that God allows us to serve these people in this way, <coughs> by loving and caring them. And the phrase I often use of our presence here is that we are trying to reenact God's love as we have experienced in Jesus Christ amongst these tribal people. Panel Memorial Hospital has a great name in this region and I should say in Frontier Province. This hospital has a history of about 150 years and uh, this was the, the only health uh, unit which provided um, public health and even surgeries and most of the uh, people here in Bannu were born in this hospital. For the Christians here, about 250 families in Bannu, this is the only place and Panel Memorial School where they can work and give witness and earn their bread and butter. The irony of our presence here is that if we were to measure it simply in kind of uh, financial terms or investment terms, we have had very bad returns. After spending millions of rupees over 150 years, if I can count 10 converted people uh, of 
this tribe and of this ethnicity towards Christianity, I would be jumping with joy. But then the question is, is that what Christian service is all about? Is it uh, a bargain that if we invest, we will get so many Christians? Certainly not, because our investment is for God's kingdom. And these people are as much part of God's kingdom as we are. And this service, I mean, 98% of the patients who are served here are of majority Muslim faith, at times very hostile to the very name Christian. But when it comes to a place like this, they recognize that these people care for us, clean our wounds, and love us. They want us to continue. Friends, I'm going to look at the compassion of our Lord from my experience through very briefly because it's only about 15 minutes through three angles or lenses. The first lens that I want to look at in expressing this compassion of Christ in harassed and helpless situation is through holistic mission. And I use the word holistic, not H-O-L-I, but W-H-O-L-I. The totality of what mission is all about for God's people everywhere in all human conditions. And why I lay emphasis on that as a starter? Because I believe for the last almost couple of hundred years, we have been trapped into defining mission where the need is. And how do we define the need? You have to be hungry. You have to be homeless. You have to be no shoes, no clothes. That's the needy. Yes, they are the neediest. And it's a gospel imperative. I don't need to tell you about that. It's a gospel imperative that without questioning, we redeem them, we renew them, we re rehabilitate them. But then need is also emotional. Need is also spiritual, need is also moral and ethical. And I think it's there that we somehow bypass and define need purely in our terms. What satisfies our, almost if I may use the term ego, rather than what the human condition is. And this is why I always emphasize and my heart goes out because I feel that if we only feel, define the need the way we do, then there has to be some soul searching about that. Uh, going around the world, one of my favorite ways of doing it, I used to usually say, come on, 
you raise your hand. Why are you in the mission field? Or why are you interested in missions at all? It's not fashionable to do so, particularly in the Europe that I know. Why are you interested in missions? And the answer, 80-90% would be need, and need defined on the terms of Good Samaritan. It's a beautiful, very moving parable story, compassionate story, which doesn't give us any choice but to respond to those situations. But I always very quietly say, how about the rich man and the Lazarus? <laughs> Was there a need there? And if so, perhaps both needed God, both needed compassion. But if we are to look at it more closely, who needed more than the other? And that balance of a holistic approach to what we mission and how we go about in our uh, this journey of missions, I think has got to be very fundamental. I hope you'll forgive my rudeness, but I have to say it because I come from such a situation. If we only look at the poor as needy, we demean them. Some of my friends who used to visit me, Western friends, close friends, roam around for a couple of days, meet with English-speaking Pakistani Christians, have reasonable food and all. And after a couple of days, quiet whisper, Bishop Mano, when are we going to meet this poor? As if poor are some species found in the zoos of those countries who are dignified human beings. And I'm one of those, in my own situation, there's another DVD on the same lines where I say, we are not a church serving the poor. We are church of the poor. And not serving ourselves, as you have seen there. We are a poor church, and that ministry is to God's people, whoever they may be, rich or poor, as long as they are in need of that ministry. So I think, with all due respect, I want to say that make your mission a holistic understanding of when we look at this challenge which God has placed on your heart and minds. My second angle or lens is adventurous mission. Adventurous mission. I have friends here, very close friends, and we joke about it. Come, you know anybody who shows interest in a situation like that, and Bishop Mano, what can we do for you? Come over and see us. Come over and see us. Had a chat, my wife feels very nervous about me going. Even flying over that place, and there are some who are friends enough for me to say, 
I don't want to see your face when it's all peaceful. I know there are difficulties. I'm kind of making it too short. They are a whole bunch of details behind all these situations. But in a nutshell, just saying that God is calling us, as he has called people throughout the ages, to these situations, adventurous situations, challenging situations. And today, more than at any other time, the world needs it. I must say, I know the European scene pretty well. My heart weeps. 200 years ago, case after case, group after group, there were cases where uh, you know, which was very common in mission understanding that in Africa and Asia, these young missionaries would never come home alive. And one time I was speaking in a setting like this, somebody shouted at me, Bishop, perhaps you don't realize that there were young British European couples who used to take their coffins made with the British oak wood or whatever that was, so that they could be buried in those. That is our heritage, that's our sacrifices, that's our inheritance, which has given birth to the church. I may be a bad fruit, but I'm a product of such adventures, such commitments, such sacrifices. And yet today, I'm sorry to say, we avoid such places. I was petrified, almost hugely disturbed, and I still need to verify the facts and figures, but two-thirds of humanity on planet Earth still do not accept Jesus as the Lord. Two-thirds. We are only one-third. Wonderful that we are still the largest faithful community on the planet Earth. But what totally shocked me, and I have to verify these facts, I hope they are wrong, that at Edinburgh 2010 Mission Conference, we heard very professional statistic that of the non-Christian world, of the non-Christian world, 86% have either never, never met a Christian or never heard the name of Jesus. I hope it's wrong. I hope that's not true. But that is the reality. Asia is almost... 70% of humanity, they are only 8% Christians. Only 8%. And the reason, in Europe, the reason is very obvious. Oh, they are people of other faiths. Leave them to themselves. We don't need to disturb polity of missions, polity of politics etc., etc. 
as if, as if this gospel saving message of the gospel is only for those who are needy, for those who are hungry. I still remember the words of, I know you are not used to this horrible word called a bishop, but uh, <laughs> uh, and especially bishops of the Anglican Communion. At, in 1928, one of the missionary, the second missionary and ecumenical council was held in Jerusalem. And of all the people, the then Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said this, the gospel of Christ is either true for all or not true at all. How many can say it today? And one of the excuses which come through my ears always is, is the gospel relevant in those situations? Do they have their own faiths? What does gospel mean to those people? And today, I think we are defining gospel as we deem fit rather than as he would like us to be. And these, these words ring in my ear today with all due respect to our families, our ancestors in Europe. The word God is a bit of a laughing stock. Every effort is being made to ignore and deny the very being of the divine. I hope I'm not exaggerating this, but that is my experience. And if that be the case, how are we to revitalize? How are we going to invigorate? How are we going to inject new life into that message? And within that context, I want to plead with you as my director, Dr. Bonk, has said very well and aptly that for God's sake, don't ignore the decimation of Christianity in the ancient lands of Christianity, especially in majority Islamic lands. I'm not against Muslims. They are my brothers. They are my family. I live with them. I love them. I serve them. You you saw those, uh, that DVD video. We serve not under orders from anybody. We serve out of our own compulsion of the gospel. It's, it's, it's an imperative of my faith. I'm not doing favor to anybody. We are not under orders to anybody that you, you serve those ghastly people. But... I believe so passionately, and we believe so passionately. And yet, yet, the decimation of Christianity in those lands is one of the biggest challenges. We don't want to pick up crusades, but on the other hand, how many of us carry the concern, the burden, that how can we sustain those communities 
how can we rejuvenate those communities so that they are not perished? The other day I was speaking in Houston, and a lady close to me, somehow she was uncomfortable. She thought I'm either exaggerating or doing something like that. And uh, she said, can you learn lessons from other persecuted situations? I said, name the country. She said, how about China? One of the great success stories of our time. 49, just about 1 million Christians. 2013, we are almost 90 million Christians in China. Nothing is more exhilarating and encouraging than that reality. What's the cost? How many dollars did it cost to have those, those Christians? 1.2 million martyrs. 1.2 million martyrs in 60 years in China. How many of us know about that? I learned it. Dr. Bonk only researched in the English library about it. Even I didn't know. We were all saying, hallelujah, three chairs. There are so many million Christians in China now. Do we want this to be repeated all over the world, especially where religions like this decimate us? I think this has to be a concern a challenge for the whole Christian world that what about our faith siblings? They are not Pakistanis. You are not Americans for me. You are my faith siblings. That's why I'm here. And lastly, just want to focus on that, that mission in derelict lands mission in valleys of dry bones, mission in wilderness. The first Iranian bishop in the 1970s said one sentence in a public meeting, we the church must rediscover the theology of waste. How dreadful. We are not about waste. We want results. The biggest wastage of God action in human history was the cross. Cross. How many disciples did he leave behind? Just a hundred. And yet, that has transformed the world. This hospital where you see this happening, 150 years ago, a Cambridge graduate, Dr. Pennell, lands there. No one would come for treatment. He's white man. He'll make us Christian. And also, they'll take away our land. That was, or even though that was the peak of the colonialism in that area. One day, he saw a limping dog walking through the compound. He used to wear his coat and stethoscope and sit every day waiting for patients. And he saw that dog. Holy Spirit moved him. He put him on the operation theater, mended his leg. 
put a bandage, white bandage, blood stains moving around the streets. Who is this man? Even he cares for a dog. That was the beginning of this ministry. First Friday after American forces started bombing Afghanistan, cut a long story short, I was visiting Pakistan at that time in India. I hurried to my part of the world and first Friday I was in that hospital that you saw. After the Friday prayers, we were surrounded by a mob of I don't know how many thousands, at least three to five thousand, chanting anti-American, anti-West, and above all, for us, anti-Christian. It was like walls of Jericho. When will these walls fall? That was the anger and curiosity at that time. After about half an hour, 45 minutes, it faded away. We sent our little dove outside to find out if the water has receded or not. <laughs> and finally, we started sneaking out. I had a six-hour drive to get to an international airport from this remote part to get back to London. That's where I was based. No telephone connection till I reached London. First thing, I ring my priest there. Are you all right? Blah, blah, blah. What happened? Why did they spare us? The rumor is, the gossip is, people from amongst them, after about half an hour of yelling at us, why are we bothering these people? They have been cleaning our wounds for 150 years. Can you believe this? Bombing going on. The commandos landed in Banu that weekend. And we escaped because there was the incarnation of the gospel in that situation. My last encounter, and with that I will end, was that this Doctor whom you saw, December 8, 2007, he was kidnapped. I was in Geneva at that time. I dashed back to discover the tragedy. Christmas Eve 2007, I spent half a day along with his wife, with the Taliban commando putting to him, begging him, cajoling him, requesting him, please give us back our doctor. He kept on saying to me, we haven't done it, but we'll help you in his recovery. He was a professional terrorist because he had spent four and a half years in Cuba at the detention center. He was released after authorities there felt they had cleansed his head but he goes back, becomes a commando again. And 2nd of January 2008, that person came back along with his driver, including with his vehicle and his, his 
wallet, everything safe. Who did it? Why did it happen? Why didn't they butcher him? Every day they used to, you know, use the butcher's knife beside him and question him. And the question was, why are you doing this? Who is behind this? Is it CIA? Is it some foreign agent? Why do you do it? No, we do it because we believe in it. Because that is the compulsion of our faith. That's why we do it. And after three weeks, he was released unharmed. Who did it, we'll never know. Whether it was Taliban, Al-Qaeda, who did it? But that is the fruit. That is the fruit of pitching your tent in the wilderness, which was pitched 150 years ago. Today you can't fly over that area. Today you do as a, go in as a do-gooder. They'll kidnap you or throw you away. But because somebody saw this barren land, saw this valley of dry bones, and took the gospel there with conviction, with hope, and with purpose. Friends, I can carry on in the end. Let me just say to you, Keep up the good work. You really have, you know, given me so much hope that all is not lost for the gospel. Continue to support your missionaries. Continue to support your vision to proclaim this eternal gospel to the world at large. And could I put a piece here also? Continue to support our OMSC because it provides us with the opportunity to experience this oneness of the Christian family. Thank you, thank you for having me. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bishop Mono. I was in a restaurant the other day, Bonnie, and it was a, a Chinese restaurant, and they had these chopsticks on the table, and, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, if you don't know how to use chopsticks, it's kind of difficult to eat noodles and you stab food and eat it this way, and it's kind of, it's a very awkward sort of set of utensils that you have to use, and um, you know, so many people in the world use chopsticks, but yet they're kind of awkward, you know. I'm not, it's like they, they, they serve a purpose, but I'm not sure what it actually is sometimes. That reminds me of a quote I heard from Dr. Timothy Keller the other day. And he said, when you find the purpose of an object, why it was designed, then the object can reach its full potential, its wholeness, its reason for existence. That's absolutely right. If you don't know how to use chopsticks, you'll go hungry. But the basic idea of a chopstick is this bottom, this bottom one here, 
doesn't move. It stays secure in your hand at all times. It's this top one that moves up and down so that you can pinch the food and, and eat it. That way you can, can eat food. It's the bottom one stays stable, but the top one moves. I stay. I pray. And I give. I pray. I go. I share the love of Christ. Together, we can feed the world. And together, we can fulfill the Great Commission. This whole week, you will hear from many missionaries just like Ellen. And we often think that missions, it's what they do. And it's nice. But I don't really play a part. But as we just illustrated, that's just not the case. Missions is what you, Black Rock, are doing all over the world right now. We on the Board of Missions believe that it could very well be a Black Rock missionary who reaches that last people group with the good news of Jesus Christ. Please find your faith promise card on your table. Take this home and pray with your family and ask God what he's calling you to do. If for some reason you can't be at church on Sunday, you can fill this out tonight, and you can leave it in the box on the prayer partner table by the door. We are commanded by Christ to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. What will your role be? Now, just the last few moments to uh, just to have a word of thanks and then also a word of challenge. Let's start with our uh, word of thanks. Uh, this whole week has many, many moving parts. And, uh, and so we have already thanked our missionary partners who are here. They're a big part of uh, making this week something that God uses in a, in a big way every year. But we also want to thank those who did all the organization. And here I'm talking about our uh, missions uh, conference committee, uh, Don Brem and Pastor Larry. Let's just thank uh, those who have put together this. And now just a, a word of challenge, uh, and that is that uh, this, this uh, theme that we have, harassed and helpless, it comes from uh, what Jesus said about the people that he looked out upon, and they were harassed and helpless as sheep without a shepherd. But you know who we are, those of us who follow Jesus? We are people with a shepherd, a good shepherd. A shepherd, Jesus says, uh, is a shepherd who speaks, and his sheep Hear his voice and listen to him. And that's really what this week is all about. If you want to kind of boil it all down, it's the sheep listening to the shepherd. And we're asking you to listen to the shepherd uh, along some very specific themes. And they're represented by your faith promise card. Would you listen to the heart of the shepherd as it relates to your role in praying for the workers in the harvest around the world. These are our missionary partners. Would you listen to the shepherd? Not just assume that you're a stayer and you're always going to be a stayer. Uh, as important as we are in the, in the process, those of us who stay, but maybe, just maybe, the shepherd is challenging you to go, whether it be a short term or maybe something longer. Would you listen 
Would you just listen to the shepherd related to that? And then uh, finally, let's talk about that giving part. Uh, we have just heard a, a challenge from B- Bishop Mono, and thank you very much, Bishop, for this challenge that we don't hear enough about. And that is that, uh, that sacrifice is a part of what it means to follow this shepherd. Uh, let's keep in mind that if we read our Bible, uh, every book uh, that we read in the New Testament was written by someone who suffered, sometimes to the point of death, uh, to follow Jesus. And we, shepherd, we, we follow a shepherd who was a martyr. And so it's, it should not be unusual for us to think about sacrifice. And so when it comes to this giving part, uh, would you listen to the shepherd and be willing to hear him maybe call you to some sacrifice? Instead of just the same old, same old, or maybe you've never made a missions faith promise before in your life. But listen to the shepherd and listen with the idea that you're going to follow what the shepherd says. That's our challenge to you this week, uh, to really listen as it relates to this very, very important call to be part of those who are following a shepherd to those who do not have a shepherd and are harassed and helpless. Would you please stand now as we close? Let's close with a word of prayer. Let me just uh, encourage you just to take uh, uh, eight seconds and just, just listen to the shepherd for just a moment. You've heard so much uh, from a very uh, experienced man when it comes to what it means to, uh, to follow this shepherd, even in the midst of suffering. Would you listen to this shepherd now in the light of what we've heard tonight? Oh, good shepherd, thank you for speaking to your sheep. We want to be those who listen and not just talk about following you, but really follow you, even in ways that may include sacrifice. Lord, help us to hear your call related to the 900 Project. Lord, help us to hear your call related to uh, the faith promise praying and the going and the giving. Lord, help us to be those who really listen to you this week and follow your word. Send us out now with your blessing. And we pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for coming.